This morning we're going to be reading together from uh, Acts chapter 13. So in our uh, walk through Acts, uh, the next two Sundays what we're going to do is look at uh, two sermons that uh, Paul preached. Today it's a sermon that he predominantly preaches to a Jewish audience. Next week it'll be a, a sermon that he preaches in Athens uh, to a non-Jewish audience. Um, and so today what we'll see is uh, on Paul's missionary journeys, which is where the book of Acts now moves, is to track with Paul where his missionary journey goes. And he, and he goes on three, and this is part of his first one. As the gospel is, is going out, remember from uh, Acts 1.8, uh, 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 Jerusalem, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. This is part of to the ends of the earth movement of the gospel. What Paul's practice was, was that he would go into a synagogue and that he would speak there. Um, and then oftentimes what would happen is he would move beyond the synagogue to preach in other contexts so that he could reach out to the Gentiles, which is particularly what Paul was charged to do, the calling that God had on his life. So today we're going to read from Acts chapter 13. It's found on page 1714, uh, Acts chapter 13, and I'll begin reading at verse 13. As we prepare to hear God's word, let's pray together. In you alone, O Christ, we stand In your word we find life, and in your word you direct us to be who you want us to be, to show us how to live as you want us to live. Help us now as we hear your word, to take it to heart, to discover you, and to know more of who we are in and through you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue elder rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak it. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, People of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of the country. He endured their their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David their king. And he testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not that one. No, but he is coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it's to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. 
And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he's fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it's written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I've become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. And so it's stated elsewhere. You will not let your holy one see decay. But when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. The one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. A pastor was once asked if uh, he would come to back to preach in his home congregation, the congregation which he grew up. Uh, and the pastor expressed his interest but, but said, unfortunately, uh, the dates wouldn't work out. He wouldn't be able to swing it. But he did know what text he would preach. It was the one from the Gospel of Mark. Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Paul was back in his home territory. He's about 200 miles west of his hometown. And he's in synagogue and he's invited to say something. He didn't have any hesitation. Wasn't concerned about uh, whether he would be held in honor. He simply preached. Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Look what God has done. That's where Paul begins his sermon, pointing to God's action. He invites his audience to consider God's activity in their history. 
Verses 16 to 23 are a litany of all the things God did to move His people along. And God wants to be clear. Israel's story is a story that's all about God. Your story is a story of God's actions. Paul moves at a rapid pace. He doesn't dawdle. He covers 450 years in three verses. He leaves out detail, but he makes clear that God is the actor. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. God called out Abraham out of his home country to go where God directed him. You know, Abraham wasn't able to Google map his way to where he was going because God gave him no fixed address. Abraham depended, trusted entirely on God. God made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. Now, prosper doesn't mean that during their 400 years of slavery, they put wealth in their pockets. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly and made their lives bitter. But despite persecution, God increased the population of the Israelites. They prospered in numbers. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. God sent plagues to afflict Egypt. God hardened Pharaoh's heart until he relented to let the people go. God split the Red Sea so Israel could walk safely through and Pharaoh was destroyed. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. God patiently put up with Israel's grumbling about food, about water, about Moses' leadership. At nearly every bend, the people thought it would be better to return to Egypt. Still, God fed them, clothed them, led them forward. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. God planted his people in this nation of Canaan. Israel returned to the home that God had placed and named for Abraham and for his children and descendants. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. During that time, the people still did what was right in their own eyes, but it was God who remained on duty. God raised up judges like Gideon, Deborah, Samson, all to fulfill God's purposes. Israel's story is 450 years of God's action. God behind every part of this story. And then in verse 21, Paul turns to a major chapter in Israel's story. They wanted a king. Then the people asked for a king. And he gave them Saul. Now if you know the story... You know that Saul's kind of a GQ kind of guy? Tall, handsome, Armani suit. The problem was Saul was full of himself. And he relied less and less on God as he exercised his kingship. He ruled for 40 years and then he was removed. So God anointed David as king. David, a man of God. Paul says God testified concerning him... I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Was David perfect? No way. He had deep and tragic faults. He failed God in some really magnificent ways. And yet in his penitence, David depended entirely on God's grace. 
That's why David could rule God's people with justice, with truth. That is, after God's image, with God's heart. David became the pattern for the one who would come from him, the one who would be God's true king, the ultimate king. So in just these few short sentences, Paul unveils Israel's story. It's all about God. Look at it again. God chose, God made, led, endured, overthrew, gave, removed, testified. It's the way life works, even our lives. Whether we face goodness in life or life is full of challenges, God is always acting. God acts to make His purposes happen. So Paul began his sermon by looking at what God has done. And then Paul's sermon turns to Jesus. He directs us to look at Jesus. Great King David's greater son, Jesus the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, promised to Israel. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Jesus is the rescuer that Israel needed. We need Jesus for salvation. See, all was not well amongst God's people. The fact that Paul declares Jesus as the Savior means Israel needs rescuing. Yeah, Israel was God's people, but they didn't live in freedom. And each generation of Israel could not keep the law that God had established. They simply did not accomplish the promise of being God's light to the nations. But the truth is, even if they did everything the Torah called for, God's law called for, they still wouldn't be right with God. The whole nation and each individual was far from what God expected and wanted them to be. But then Jesus came. Just as Peter, Stephen, and others did in messages before this, the hinge of Paul's sermon rests on what God did through Jesus. The leaders of Israel didn't recognize Jesus. Despite the testimony of the Old Testament, they missed seeing that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of David. They listened to God's word every single week. They should have been able to welcome Jesus for who he was. But the irony is, it is their rejection of Jesus that fulfilled God's word. As Paul notes, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Do you understand the deep mystery going on here? God saved the world by calling a people who were part of the problem to be a part of the solution. But they came to this solution through the way they treated Jesus, by rejecting him. The Christian Reformed teaching, Our World Belongs to God, says, Standing in our place, Jesus suffered during his years on earth, especially in the tortures of the cross. He carried God's judgment on our sin. His sacrifice removed our guilt. 
See, the amazing irony of God's grace is that God uses our failure, our sin against Jesus to send Jesus to the cross. Paul says the rulers condemned Jesus, an innocent man, and they persuaded Pilate to execute him. But Jesus' death on the cross is exactly the sacrifice that removed our guilt for sin. And so we're made right with God through Jesus. God secures our freedom from guilt by raising Jesus from the dead. That's the seismic event. Jesus' resurrection. In the landscape of God's whole story, the resurrection is what changes everything. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that the message of salvation has been sent. God fulfilled his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Moses, to David, to the prophets with the resurrection. God, what Paul does is he links the story of God's actions all throughout Israel's history with God's action in raising Jesus from the dead. All of the promises that God made to Israel come true in Jesus Christ. Great King David's greater son, Jesus, is just the Savior Israel needed. And Jesus' resurrection is an affirmation that Jesus is the rightful king. It's the central point of Paul's sermon. But for his audience to understand the message of resurrection and renewal and to realize who Jesus really is, Paul points them to the Psalms. He wants them to recognize that Jesus is the heir of David. God does in Jesus what was never accomplished in Israel. Again, profound mystery here. A mystery of great good news. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he's fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Paul begins with Psalm 2. You are my son, today I've become your father. See, in Paul's mind, what Psalm 2 does is point forward to Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection affirms Jesus as God's own son. It's a moment when God affirms Jesus' calling. This weekend, a live-action version of The Lion King was released. The original animated version was made in 1994. Uh, Perhaps you know the story, right? The movie opens with the birth of Simba, son to King Mufasa, and on Pride Rock, Rafiki presents Simba as the next Lion King. But tragedy strikes. Simba's evil uncle Scar kills Mufasa, and he makes himself the king. Simba, thinking he's guilty of his father's death, runs into exile. While Simba is exiled, Scar reigns as king. And under his rule, everything's destroyed. The land has no food, no water, animals are dying. And Rafiki sets off to find Simba. And when he does, Rafiki recalls Simba to be the king he was anointed to be. And as Simba weighs the challenge given to him, he has this vision of Mufasa. Mufasa tells Simba that he must take his rightful place. Simba says, there's no way. I can't go back. I'm not who I used to be. I'm weighed down by guilt. 
And Mufasa helps him see he's more. Remember who you are, he says. Remember who you are. You are my son, the one true king. And in that moment, as if Simba's reborn and he takes up his rightful place, he challenges the evils that Scar has brought about in the land, and he is the run true king. Jesus is God's son, the one true king. And Paul uses Psalm 2 in his sermon to alert us to the truth that the resurrection's a moment of new birth, that the resurrection of Jesus affirms him as God's rightful king. He's the Messiah, a king in the line of David who will rule and judge the nations. To further prove his point, Paul quotes from Psalm 16. You will not let your Holy One see decay. It's an extraordinary promise. This Davidic figure might die, but he will not experience the normal decomposition of a dead body. Now, of course, there's no way that this could be true of David himself, says Paul. I mean, David served God's purposes, died, was buried, and his body decayed. But Jesus did not experience decay, Paul points out. Oh, he definitely died. His body was buried, but God raised him up. And instead of decay, Jesus was raised to life. So again, Paul sees these words of Psalm 16 pointing to Jesus. And he writes, says, Jesus is the one through whom God is bringing in the new world order for which he called Israel into being in the first place. See, Jesus is the rightful king of Israel, accomplishing what God wanted Israel to accomplish in the first place. Jesus does what Israel was never able to do. God had great plans for Israel. God wanted Israel to be a blessing to all nations, a light to the world. But it just didn't happen. Israel kept tripping all over herself. Israel kept sinning. But now, it's a new day under a rightful king. God promises a new world, not just for David, not just for Israel. God's promise of newness goes out to the whole world, beginning with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. As God was faithful to Jesus, raising him from death to life, God will be faithful to Israel and to the whole world. The world-changing promise of renewal, healing, and transformation are assured. Why? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is the rightful king of all making God's promises available to all. See, through Jesus, God makes the impossible possible. See, human beings are stuck in sin and misery. But in Jesus, Paul notes that it's a new day. God's mission to reconcile the whole world to himself becomes clear in Jesus. Paul makes one more reference to bring his point home. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. This is a quote from Isaiah 55, verse 3. It's a verse that occurs right in the context of God's grand revelation that new life is coming to the whole world. In Isaiah 53, the prophet writes about the work of the servant of God. In Isaiah 54, God speaks about a renewed covenant, a new promise between him and his people. 
Then, in Isaiah 55, God's promise comes home to everybody. Come, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Then the verse that Paul quotes, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Leading to this incredible promise for the whole world, surely you will summon nations you know not, nations you do not know will come running to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, He has endowed you with splendor. This whole new world, this world filled with God's splendor, comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus because of the forgiveness of sins. That's what Paul picks up his theme in the next theme in his sermon. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. We can't forgive ourselves, but in Jesus, God forgives us. Of course, to accept this, we'll call for humility. We have to admit our inability. And no matter how obedient we are to the law, we'll never get right with God. Everyone, Jew and Gentile, must humble themselves before God. That's why Paul issues a warning taken from the prophet Habakkuk. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Watch out, says Paul. You just might miss what God is up to. Don't be so full of yourself. Humble yourself before God. And see God's forgiveness. The new world God has created through Jesus' death and resurrection. Brought to you. Bringing you God's forgiveness. Your sin. My sin. The full scope of sin. Every aspect of our failure. Addressed in Jesus. In Jesus, God holds nothing against you. At every level, God forgives. Your wickedness, your folly, your your rebellion. Wherever you've failed, where you've lied, cheated, murdered, dishonored, God forgives. Where we've not been able because we've been distracted by the glittering, sophisticated, flashy ways of sin, God forgives. Whether corporate or personal, local or global, intended or accidental, God deals with all of it. God forgives. Where the law of Moses could only do so much to make us right, God in in and through Jesus erases all sin. The only thing he must do is accept it. Humbly acknowledge that you are unable by yourself to bear up the load that sin has created. And that's not reserved for a few. God's forgiveness includes all people. What God did for His people through Jesus the Messiah is available to all. 
if you've been attentive at all to the news the past few days, you have been reminded that 50 years ago, Neil Armstrong uttered words to impact generations to come. Apollo 11 had landed on the moon. He descended the ladder to the moon's surface. And as he took those first steps, he said those memorable words, that's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Now, nobody thought that he meant the 650 million people watching the grainy image on TV were literally stepping on the moon's surface. No, he was noting that his accomplishment was something that impacted the life of everyone. That's what Paul's getting at. That Jesus changes the whole scene. That in Jesus... Everything is new. Even non-Jews are welcomed into the picture. So Paul points to Isaiah 49. I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The whole world gets blessed when God does for Israel what Israel was longing for God to do. Hope for the world rests in God's fulfillment of his promise. Remember, Abraham was called so that all people would be blessed. Remember that Israel was meant to be a nation of priests serving all nations. Remember, David's king was meant to rule to the ends of the earth. Remember, Isaiah promised that God's servant would restore Israel to be a light to the whole world. Remember, no one is more righteous, not Jew nor Gentile, but all belong to God because of forgiveness of sin through Jesus. And that's true for everyone. God has made the impossible possible. And this impossibly possible mission goes on. Because when we look at our own story, we'll see it's all about God's actions. We know on our own, we're not able. It's impossible for us to make ourselves right with God. It's impossible for us to to be what, what God desires through our own efforts. But through the effort of Jesus, we are welcomed into God's forgiveness. Yeah? You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to say, I can't. You're going to have to acknowledge that God invites you, not because you're so worthy, but because God is so great. Paul's sermon's a story that's told over and over. A story about God's actions. How God makes everything new in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And how that provides for the forgiveness of sin for all of it. And that if you believe this, then you will be a shining light. Part of God's impossibly possible mission. Bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Lord our God, humble us to receive uh, this message. 
a message of how you have acted in and through Jesus Christ to make us yours. To make us your children, sons and daughters of you, the great King. Sons and daughters who shine as a light to the world. Sons and daughters who seek to be a light bringing your salvation to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.